You're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer, and I am here with my BHB Pod co-host, Matt Hartwell in the flesh. Matt, what's up, dude? Not too much, buddy. A big ass week in Michigan football. If uh, if you're in the media, Big Ten media days, uh, fresh off of that. So a lot of good stuff to talk about in today's show. I'm super excited. Yeah, this is not the episode for anybody that's looking for unbiased Michigan analysis to listen to. I'm warning you listeners, this will not be an unbiased episode because there's just too many juicy, spicy things that happened this week that we have to touch on. So um, our, our Michigan fandom will most definitely come out in this episode. But let's start with what is probably one of the biggest stories in all of college football and, of course, is also a story uh, for Michigan. Jim Harbaugh is going to be facing a four-game suspension for what is we are now calling Burgergate. Um, Jim Harbaugh was investigated for uh, buying a couple of recruits hamburgers. He was questioned. He basically told the NCAA, I don't really remember. The NCAA said, you're lying. Um, they, they basically said, you're lying. Um, and then, you know, there was some back and forth. This, this story came out several months ago. We, we didn't really know if it was going to go away. Uh, we knew that the president of the University of Michigan, uh, Santa Ono, had, came in and had Harbaugh's back. So we thought perhaps they were going to play hardball with the NCAA and this would go away. And now it comes out that it looks like they are negotiating a four-game uh, suspension, which would, which would leave Harbaugh um, not on the sidelines for East Carolina UNLV, Bowling Green, and the first Big Ten game of the season, which is Rutgers. Matt Hartwell, is this something or is this nothing? Uh, I think it's nothing. And I think a lot of Michigan faithful have kind of fallen into um, just the mindset that really, like, I think anyone's just willing to take any kind of adversity that they can get now at this point in the season. And, uh, turn it into a net positive. So I think a lot of followers of the team and a lot of those that are hopeful for the team uh, believe that it's going to really not turn out to be a big deal. You know, you got a lot of the low-hanging fruit there on the schedule that they're going to be without Jim Harbaugh for. So, um, you know, not too concerned with it. Obviously, also over the past couple of years, you've had coordinators such as uh, Sharon Moore and Jesse Mentor calling a lot of those plays. So another reason not to be too uh, critically worried or anything like that. But uh, I mean, if you're like me, I'm kind of of the same mindset. I'm just using it as a net positive. I think this team, if, if anything, is going to approach the season with a hungrier mindset and they're going to attack these uh, next four games probably a lot a lot harder than they planned on attacking them to begin with. So we'll see how it goes. But for now, I'm not too worried about it. 
Yeah, judging, you know, some of Blake Corum's comments where they're talking about playing for Coach Harbaugh leads me to believe that this might be exactly what the team needed to play with a chip on their shoulder all season. You know, the team's coming in, probably going to be ranked in the top three when the uh, preseason AP comes out, uh, definitely in the top five. Um, Vegas has Michigan as the most likely team uh, to win the Big Ten by a smidge. You know, Ohio State and Michigan are both right around there. But it's been years since Vegas thought Michigan was going to win the Big Ten. Um, and so y- you run into this issue that Michigan might be cruising into the season with a little too much confidence, which I don't really believe that's the case, but they could be, right? You're, and then all of a sudden, you don't get your coach for the first four games. Now, do I think Michigan is at risk of losing any of those four games? I'm going to very cautiously say no. No, I don't think Michigan's going to lose any of those four games, but I don't want to disrespect any of those teams. There are rumors that Grant Newsom and Coach Sharon Moore uh, could both serve a one-game suspension as well. Teams like East Carolina can be sneaky sometimes, and so you go into a game without Harbaugh, without Moore, without Newsom, you know, things might, in a typical Michigan fashion, things might get a little interesting in the first half, you know? So I, I by no means am saying that those are meaningless games. They're very meaningful. Every game on the schedule is meaningful. Um, but I do think that Coach Harbaugh is going to have his players and coaches uh, prepared for the game. But let's get into what's potentially really going on here. There seems to be a political agenda in the NCAA against Jim Harbaugh personally and individually. And allow me to rant for just a moment. There are teams uh, in the SEC and outside of the SEC that are not being very secretive about the fact that they are handing out loads of money for players to come play. And let's just remind everybody, that is not within the realm of what's legal under NIL, right? This is not supposed to be a pay-for-play environment. As a matter of fact, um, Maryland's quarterback, Baby Tua, I can never say his name, Talua Tagovailoa. Talia. There you go. Talia. You got it. Okay. I, I, I apologize to him and his family. Um, <laughs> there was a story Tua. that came, baby Tua, you know, there, there was a story that came out uh, that he was offered 1.5 million this off season to go to an, S, to an unnamed SEC school, cough, cough, Auburn is what I think. Um, and, and, Nothing is being done about this, right? There, the NCAA, it might be poking around a little bit. And then I hear all the haters saying, yeah, but Harbaugh lied, right? This is about him lying. Harbaugh, I, I genuinely don't believe he lied to the NCAA. I think he, he said exactly what he meant, which was, I don't really know. I don't recall. I don't remember. And then when they checked, they checked the facts and he actually bought this burger for a recruit. The issue is not... Um, that the issue is why in the hell is the obsolete, sorry excuse for an organization, NCAA, poking around about a ham- hamburger that was bought in Ann Arbor? It, it, it reeks of a personal vendetta, it reeks of a political agenda. And, and quite frankly, I think Jim Harbaugh rubbed somebody the wrong way, and I think they're out to get him. I know that's my biased Michigan fan opinion, but it genuinely feels like. Uh, th- there is a, a an agenda to this investigation, 
And I'm going to, I'm going to finish my rant right here, Matt, and then I'll let you talk. Uh, when you've got, uh, what's his face, Paul Feinbaum, you know, Feinbaum from ESPN, who is notorious for hating Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. He, he takes every opportunity he can to jump on the fact, you know, that Harbaugh's good for nothing. Michigan's never going to win anything. They can never beat Ohio State. He is just a straight up Michigan Wolverine hater. Even he came out and called out the NCAA for how ludicrous this is. And so is, is Michigan going to be without their head coach for the first four games? Yes. Does it matter? Probably not. Uh, in fact, it may give the team a little extra fuel heading into this season uh, when they're playing for their coach. Okay, I'm done. Rant over. Appropriate rant, though. I mean, really, at the end of the day, what all of this is, what, what it all means is it's the culmination of a several-month-long NCAA witch hunt that's been taking place uh, in the, in the uh, pursuit of nabbing Jim Harbaugh and, punish, and punishing him for quote-unquote lying to investigators. Uh, I mean, we just saw what happened with Tennessee, as you said, handing out loads of money um, obviously that's not the Talia situation you were referring to, but their situation with paying for, uh, several hotel rooms, airfare, other things like that for recruits and just getting a slap on the wrist just because they were honest with the investigator, just because they lied the first time, uh, it's okay that, that as long as they made nice with them the second time, you know what I mean? So it's really just a vendetta against Harbaugh at the end of the day is all it is. So I think that Michigan's going to come out guns blazing first game of the season, second game of the season into the Big Ten schedule, and they're really just going to make mincemeat of their competition. And that's not a knock against East Carolina or any of those guys that, that could possibly get in a dogfight with them for a quarter or two. But uh, I think at the end of the day, they're just going to use it to kind of sharpen their skills and kind of use it a little bit to their advantage, you know, as some form of doubt, you know, they've been picking up so much positive feedback. So uh, what's a little adversity at the beginning of the season? I think that the, they know what it takes and what they need to do. Well, it's starting to look like Jim Harbaugh and the university of Michigan are going to long outlive the NCAA because it, it's every year it's looking more and more like uh, there may be a movement away from them. Uh, you know, all it will take is an organized effort from these conferences and these bigger schools to say, we don't even need the NCAA anymore. And we might actually see college football uh, secede, you know, from the NCAA. So uh, remember, I said that I don't think it's going to happen this year. I don't think it's going to happen next year. But, you know, in five or 10 years, we may be looking at a very different landscape. Um, and I don't know if the NCAA is going to stick around because these universities are going to say, like, we don't even need these assholes, right? Like, we don't need them uh, poking around and making up arbitrary regulations and rules. Uh, we can govern ourselves, uh, you know, as conferences and as universities. Um, in other Harbaugh news, let's get into Big Ten media days because we... We had some great content. Um, let's just run down the list of some some of the fun, like juicy things that happened uh, in Indianapolis. Uh, Jim Harbaugh 
said he considers J.J. McCarthy a once-in-a-generation type quarterback. Now, you would expect your head coach to be uh, you know, flattering of their starting quarterback, but I do, I do get the sense that Harbaugh has a special place in his heart for J.J. McCarthy, and it, it might even be because they're so similar with their playing styles and their mindsets, but uh, do you believe that Harbaugh actually sees J.J. as a generational talent? Absolutely. You know, Jim Harbaugh, obviously a uh, historic uh, quarterback whisperer, uh, really lover of any quarterback that's been on his roster. He's always been the guy to speak very highly of any QB that he uh, has recruited, coached, whatever it may be. Uh, but it does seem that he's just got a little bit of a special place in his heart for uh, J.J. McCarthy a little bit. And I think that he really knows that there's that that next gear that the kid has yet to unlock. And he's just kind of waiting for him to take that step. And I think he knows that it's probably going to be this season. And I think a lot of the country knows that it's going to be this season. So I think that uh, because of that trust that he has in JJ, there is a little bit of uh, truth to attribute to some of his words about uh, unlocking it a little bit more this season with the offense. I think that his trust in JJ is going to lead to a little bit more of that this season. So. Uh, we'll see. And then, of course, you can't have Big Ten Media Days without a little bit of talk about Michigan versus Ohio State, the game. And Ryan Day, who a- appears to be just a shell of a human being at this point, uh, Ohio State head football coach Ryan Day, uh, he was mumbling about, uh, <laughs> I, th- I think, I, he's saying, I think the game should should be played earlier in the season. We maybe should reconsider with all these changes that are happening in college football. Perhaps the Michigan-Ohio State game should be earlier in the season. And it's like, what are you even saying? If I were his players, I would be like, coach, just shut up, right? Like a couple of years ago, it was about the weather. Now, now he appears to be referencing that playing the game late in the season is not advantageous or is, is too hard to prepare for. And it's like, uh, you know, did we break Ryan Day? Is Ryan Day just completely broken at this point? Um, and then Har- Harbaugh, of course, in his, uh, you know, response said just very matter of factly how Harbaugh says, he said, we'll play the, we'll play that whenever it's scheduled to be played. We know we're going to play it every season at least once. I don't have a particular opinion of when it should be played. Right now it's played the last game of the season. I think everybody's used to that. It's part of the Thanksgiving tradition now, so that's when we'll expect it. Harbaugh's like, I, I don't care, you know. You know, I, I enjoy my uh, Ohio State Michigan game, you know, on Thanksgiving weekend. Who who really cares? So, Matt, uh, how do you interpret this this uh, embarrassing display from from Ryan Day? I mean, what a time, right? <laughs> you know, to uh, see. Ryan Day. I mean, the beauty of it was that uh, Ohio State uh, spoke uh, spoke prior to Michigan or whatever. So Coach Harbaugh and really all of the Michigan players that had an opinion on Coach Day's comments, that they were so organic because like it's not like uh, it was addressed to the team or anything like each each Michigan player had just a fantastic response to to it when asked about Ryan Day's comments, pretty much the same thing that Jim Harbaugh said. But to just see Ryan Day like sputtering up there, 
uh, at the podium, uh, just blubbering about this nonsense that's really like never even been spoken about moving the Ohio State game. Uh, you know, all of this stuff, you know, and through all of the change, like while while I digress a little bit, um, I mean, that's it's has been the one thing that's just kind of remained constant is Michigan, Ohio State at the end of the year. So my personal opinion, don't take it away. But uh, it's just crazy to see Ryan Day up there having such opinions and to just have Michigan taking such like, oh, we don't really like mind what time of week or what time of year it's played attitude. Uh, just great to see, you know, Michigan kind of is in a place where they're owning this rivalry a little bit, uh, physically, mentally, whatever, uh, whatever aspect you want to think of it in. Michigan is in these guys' heads a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if I was an Ohio State fan, I would, I would just be fiending for the return of Urban Meyer because as much as I despise Urban Meyer, I know damn well the guy never would have said anything like that. You know, he he just he just had a way about him that was much more confident, much more prepared, much more composed. Um, I'm grateful he's not there anymore, honestly. Um, and then if if I try to even give Ryan Day's comments some logical thought, uh, it actually makes more sense wanting to move the game earlier in the year under the current structure than the new 12-team playoff because the 12-team playoff basically makes it to where you can lose that last game of the year and still get a good seed in the playoff and still have an opportunity uh, at a national championship. These Michigan and Ohio State games, typically the loser can still be ranked in that 6-10 to 10 range, whereas in the, under the current setup, 6-10 to 10 is no good, right? You're, you're playing, you know, in the Alamo Bowl sometimes in that range, you know, but at least you know, the citrus bowl or something like you're not, you're not playing for a national championship. So I'm not even really under, uh, you know, I'm not even really sure, or I understand what he was saying. Um, but let's He's talk just a little bit about to the avoid embarrassment is my takeaway yeah. from it, Mike. I mean, like what, and Blake Corum kind of just had a, what <laughs> kind of reaction to it. I don't know if you watched uh -huh. any of his press conference I did. Uh, footage, yeah. but uh, he was just kind of taken aback by the question a little <laughs> bit. Like, like what, you know, like we're uh, the Michigan team, the football team is just approaching this rivalry right now in a place where like, they're not scared of Ohio state and you just kind of love to see it. So that's my biggest takeaway from it is, uh, is I'm with with the team and the players, you know, play the game for now, really, when it's supposed to be played, you know, like unless there's some other reason that that you can come up with, then uh, I think just leave it as it lies. Well, Jim Harbaugh gave us some other good nuggets. So if we really look at the team um, and, and what was talked about, a lot of times these these media interviews, they don't they don't give you a lot, but. Harbaugh gave us some, some, some things to think about, right? One of the positional uh, topics that's on everybody's mind is in the secondary. We know Will Johnson is going to be that CB1. He's likely going to be on the outside guarding the best receiver on the opposing team. Um, now, opposite of him in that CB2 position, we don't really know what's, what's going to happen. It could be Josh Wallace, who transferred in from UMass. It could be Amarion Walker, who went from receiver to uh, defense just this season. Uh, it could also be, you know, a long shot, Jaden McBurrows. 
maybe even a new guy, a freshman, Jair Hill, Cam Calhoun. Um, but Harbaugh did say that will likely sort itself out uh, into the beginning of the season. And we know Harbaugh uh, famously with Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy. We know he's not opposed to using those non-conference games as a little bit of like a preseason tryout for these guys. So don't be surprised if we see some heavy rotational action um, in those first three games of the season in the secondary. Um, but Matt, I want to throw a little bit of a curveball at you. And this is not uh, my own idea, but the more the more that I think about it, the more that I think it's what's going to happen. So our friend, friend of the pod, Trevor McHugh, who we're going to have on next week, uh, he's with Mason, Mason Blue Review, which is the rivals, you know, the Michigan chapter of rivals. He posted a depth chart that, that they put out over there and they do great work over there. And I, I started to poke at it a little bit because he had uh, Mike Sainer still listed as the starting nickel, you know, slot, slot corner. And he also had him listed as the starting, starting CB2. And I was like, well, like, what, what are we saying here? What is, what's the deal? And basically the idea is that Sanders still might just move to the outside since him and Will, Will Johnson are the best two corners on the team. And then in the slot, we might, we might see in the emergence of a guy like Zeke Barry, who, you know, I'm very high on Zeke Barry. I love the way he looks. Um, so anyway, there's a lot to think about there, man. Uh, any. Any thoughts? I know you you seem to be high on Jaden McBurrows, or at least higher than some of the people I've talked to. Who do you think is going to be that third guy in the secondary, primarily with Will Johnson and Mike Sanders still? Yeah, and first of all, shout out to uh, Trevor McHugh. I think that he provided probably one of the better translations of uh, Jim Harbaugh's positional rant, obviously. You know, he provided a lot of great intel at the podium that uh, fans have been asking about with this kind of stuff, depth chart wise. But uh, Trevor pointed out a, a very good translation of what Jim Harbaugh said, which was essentially that he considers uh, Mike Sainer still and um, Will Johnson as the starting two cornerbacks. And then Kind of the third one is more up for grabs and and is how Jim Harbaugh kind of spins it. And obviously you can kind of take that as, you know, uh, as he as he was just referring to Mike Sainer still as the nickel. But, you know, I think that there may be a little bit more to it than that. I think we might see them drop Mikey down to the outside uh, a little bit more. Um, and I think that it's just going to be dependent on scheme, you know, so. I think that we're going to see a lot of Mike Sainer still this season uh, in various different looks. So, uh, but yeah, I think that uh, that he provided some great intel for that position and, and also a lot of others. I completely agree. I think we're going to see a lot of everybody that we listed, all those names we listed. It'll be interesting to see how much Cam Calhoun gets on the field. I, I definitely think Jair Hill is going to get some action. I think they're going to have to creatively get Zeke Barry onto the field, and that might come from Sanders still moving to the outside because Zeke Barry, I believe, can play that slot position. I don't know. I, if I remember correctly, they even had him, they had him lining up at safety, I think, in the spring game. But um, I am definitely not a genius when it comes to secondary X's and O's, but it, it looks as though uh, we've got the, the right 
uh, elements, the right players. It's just a matter of how we get them on the field and when in that secondary. And then speaking of how we get them on the field and when, Harbaugh also said at the edge position, that's another battle that he, he, he referenced that there were four guys uh, there that, you know, traditionally speaking, we might see two of them on the field at a time, depending on, you know, how things are lined up. But there's four guys he referenced that are fighting for those edge positions. And of course, that's Braden McGregor, Derek Moore, Jalen Harrell, and, I- and Josiah Stewart. So um, if I had to put you on the spot right now, and of course, we're going to see all four of those guys. So it's not like we're going to have to cut two of those guys. But uh, which two do you think we're going to see primarily playing edge? Uh, you know, it's so hard because uh, it's almost like like throwing darts, you know, at a dartboard just because none of these guys have really given us any, they really have nothing like just pointing to them saying, like, I'm the guy for this season. Obviously, you know, you've got uh, Derek Moore that's had a great development, great history so far with Michigan. He seems primed to, to, He seems like the most obvious candidate to have another gear that we haven't seen yet. I'll say that. And then Josiah Stewart uh, is another is another kind of outlier there because he's coming from another conference. So I would say that it would that in my mind and, you know, this kind of goes against everything great that I've said about Jalen Harrell. But um, but I think that Derek Moore and Josiah Stewart probably present the best upside of having some kind of star potential on the edge. And uh, like I said, I hope I hope Jalen Harrell does great. But up to this point, we've seen a lot of Harrell. He's received a lot of snaps like he really wasn't far off of snaps of some of the guys that got a lot last season. So um, I would say that there's just a higher likelihood of of those two aforementioned guys getting uh, a little bit more than what we've seen so far than either Harrell or McGregor. And that would, of course, mean that Braden McGregor does not take that leap forward that so many people are hoping for, because if he does, then I think we all agree McGregor could be that dude at the edge spot. I'm kind of with you. I got. I, I agree with one of those names. And granted, uh, last, I think it was, I mean, several months ago, you and I predicted our 2023 stat leaders, and a lot has changed since then. I think I picked Josiah Stewart to lead the team in sacks, um, and I think you picked uh, Jalen Harrell. Well, I'm going to go ahead and switch. I think Jalen Harrell is the guy. Um, I'm going to say he gets a lot of snaps at edge. as He's that, so to speak, starter at that position. And then I'm with you on Derek Moore. I think Derek Moore is a guy that potentially could take a big leap forward. Um, McGregor, we kind of thought would do that last year. I don't know if he's going to take a massive leap forward. And then, and then Josiah Stewart, I'm, I'm starting to think that perhaps he'll fit into a little bit of the like Iyabi Oki role that he'll have some big plays throughout the season, but he might not consistently be the dude making plays every down. I could be completely wrong though. You know, you know, like the, the edge room is so tough to, to figure out. Like I, I really don't know. Uh, it's an embarrassment of riches basically at every position on this team. So 
Um, you at know. this point, at this point, let me just say that I wouldn't be surprised if fucking like TJ Guy or uh, or Tyler yeah. McLaurin stepped out of nowhere and like and grabbed themselves like four or five sacks. You know, I'm not even saying that either of those two guys specifically, but I just wouldn't be surprised if somebody that we haven't seen yet even might be the the name at edge. You know, you never know. Uh, it's just one of those things where. We've been talking about it, about the same players until we're blue in the face all offseason. Here we are at Big Ten Media Days. It's the same thing that we've thought this entire time about these same four players. So I'm just ready for the season, man. I'm ready to run through a a brick wall and and kind of kind of just like the edges. You know what I mean? I'm ready to get after it and see which one of them is going to do the real damage. Well, this kind of depth really comes in handy when injuries occur. Now, of course, we don't we don't want anybody to get injured, but it's a long football season. People get nicked up, they get, you know, banged up, bruised a little bit, and so this kind of depth really comes in handy as the season progresses. Thankfully, one you know, one of the quotes that Jim Harbaugh gave us was he said, "I think our team's as healthy as you could ask for at this point in the season." Um and it felt like he was being authentic there. You know, Harbaugh is always a little bit secretive when it comes to injuries. You know, he'll say a guy's doing just fine and then we'll see him with a boot on his foot the next day. But uh, I, it felt like Harbaugh was actually being authentic, saying like, no, the team is really healthy right now, which to me is uh, a really positive sign. And and that leads me into one of Blake Corum's comments, which we've all been wondering about how how is his health. Um is there going to be some load management? Corum straight up said, I'll carry the ball 40 times a game. He said, I'm good for 40. He also said, I'll carry it 10 times a game. He, he's basically saying, I'll do whatever the team needs uh, in order to win. And, and of course, some of that questioning came in regards to uh, questions about Donovan Edwards and Corum's relationship with Edwards. And it feels like the, both of those guys have the talent to warrant saying, give me the ball every single down and to be really selfish. But thankfully, we don't see that with Donovan Edwards or with Blake Corum. Neither guy is selfish. They both want the other guy to succeed. And I I think that makes both of them better. And they really feed off of each other. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, such a a huge bit of news that he dropped on people there at uh, Big Ten Media Day about his health, you know? And I myself have to eat a shoe a little bit because... Uh, of talking about his health a couple weeks ago and how he was saying that he was 98%, but he has in fact said that he's good to go going into camp 100%. So, uh, you know, it's just really an insane possibility that this team has and the things that they can do. And that was one of of my biggest takeaways from Media Day was his comment about the the share of carries with Donovan Edwards. I even sent you like the whole quote. I think it was just because uh, I just I'm fascinated by it. You know what I mean? There's just such an unselfish dynamic to this running back room with such high levels of talent inside of it. So uh, just a huge, huge group of running backs they have, not just from a talent standpoint, but from a unselfishness standpoint. Really excited to see how it all culminates. But another big takeaway that I got was that Jim Harbaugh 
seems hell bent on getting both Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards 50 50 touches, whatever that looks like. You know, he too was also asked at media days. I don't have his correct quote in front of me, but he seems very determined uh, and knowledgeable that he has two extremely great players in both Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum. And he knows that he's got to get them both the ball 50 50, whatever that looks like. So I'm excited to see how he works it out uh, and how both of those guys kind of work together to reach those goals over the season. You know, in kind of a tangent here, I've been, I've been, we're talking about running backs. I've been having some special feelings about Cole Cabana lately, man. I've been, I've been, you know, having some premonitions. Uh, well, you know, I, the cabana for a while, aid. Yeah, that cabana aid, man. And and I, there's really no real reason that my opinion is starting to change other than I started to think about um, his skill set, where he fits into this team, how he could potentially be used. I think cabana might have some significant big plays this season. Um, and I, I, I don't think he's going to be redshirted. I actually think. Benjamin Hall, I, you know, I've said that before that I think Benjamin Hall will be redshirted and that Cabana um, may not be, uh, but I don't know. Just that's just how I'm feeling this week. We'll see. The running back room is it's such a hard read right now. You know, we can't forget CJ Stokes is sitting there and, and uh, of course, Khalil Mullings will be, we think, a short yardage option. So who knows what that looks like, but you know. Moving on to some not so pleasant news, uh, you know I'll be realistic here. Uh, we we took a couple L's in the recruiting landscape. I, the sky is not falling. It's not you know we still have an amazing class. We still have an amazing ability to develop players. But there were a couple bi- big announcements this week, and it would have been really nice to land these guys. I was I was joking with some Buckeye fans, and I said you know. Uh, Michigan cooled on them. We we didn't want them anyway, and of course, of course, they got them all riled up. But the truth is, Aaron Scott, uh, you know, borderline four or five star level cornerback, uh, top top guy in Ohio, or one of the top guys in Ohio. Uh, he committed to Ohio State, and he did so in legendary fashion. Did you watch the Instagram live video of his of his announcement? I did. And, uh, you know, you can't hate the kid for it. It was all all in good fun. Uh, It's not like he threw like threw his Michigan backpack in the trash can or anything like that. Uh, There was a little a little uh, playfulness to the rivalry involved in it. And, uh, you know, he and all it and all in good fun. It was pretty respectful on on most accounts. But uh, you hate to see um a good player go to that school so i mean that obviously sucks and i won't gush too much about his video or anything good for him but uh yeah you know it was a good idea on his part and i'll wish him well well and for our listeners if anybody didn't see it so he he had an oregon hat on the table he had a michigan hat on the table and he had an ohio state hat on the table and he he took the oregon hat off and so it's Michigan and Ohio State, and you're thinking like, well, yeah, obviously. We kind of knew it was down to those two. Then he took the Ohio State off the table, and he kind of tossed it to the side. And you're thinking like, wait a second. You know, is, this guy was a, a strong Ohio State lean. 
it was his dad's birthday. He, you know, he was announcing the commitment on his dad's birthday, and his dad is a big Ohio State fan. And right when he picked, there was a Michigan backpack under the Michigan hat. Right when he picked up the Michigan backpack, I knew it. I was like, this dude is fucking with us. Like there is, there is no way this guy's going to to Michigan. And sure enough, he pulled an Ohio State jersey out of the Michigan backpack. And uh, it was a good troll. It was, um, I'm all for it, by the way. I think, I think these are the things that build the rivalry. I can tell you one thing though, Matt. I would not want to be that dude next November lining up against Michigan because these players are not going to forget it. Um, and he may have a very difficult time um, in, in the game. So uh, in other news, Bennett Warren, a big-time offensive lineman who I thought Michigan actually had a good shot at landing. A lot of crystal balls early on were, were leaning towards Michigan. Um, I thought he was going to, right at the end, I thought Texas A&M was going to steal him. And I didn't follow his recruitment that closely. Turns out Tennessee, uh, are the mutually hated uh, Tennessee volunteers. I know you and me, uh, you know, both, both have opinions about Tennessee, but uh, he ended up going to Tennessee. And so uh, any thoughts there on Bennett Warren? Yeah, you know, obviously he was... Uh just a truck of a human being and you loved you would have loved to have had that guy on the offensive line uh but Michigan came on very strong at the beginning and then it just looked like a lot of SEC schools were kind of just having their way with him for a long time so I just kind of I myself tempered my expectations on him a little bit it looked like he was he was taking that south tour and enjoying it very much so so um, not too disappointed, but you know, kind of sucks on the opposite hand with Aaron Scott, uh, really hope we get that commitment from, uh, Gatlin bear to kind of see that matchup, uh, come into, come into focus, uh, later on down the road, obviously who knows if it would be, uh, Bryce West or Aaron Scott or whoever, but, uh, you know, like you said, you know, he'll have a hell of a time next year or the year after as he starts to get on the field after pulling that kind of stunt. So we'll see how that all goes. And then in other recruiting news, Achilles Smith Jr., son of Achilles Smith Sr., who I remember playing way back in the day for the Bengals. He was a big-time recruit. I don't know if you remember him, but his dad played uh, back in the day and then kind of fizzled out. But uh, Achilles Smith Jr., who was a very highly ranked quarterback, uh, committed to Auburn. I'm, I'm sorry, not Auburn, committed to Oregon. And he was, uh, he was a 2025 guy. And uh, Michigan, of course, has their eyes on, on Underwood, who's uh, you know, also a 2025 guy. But uh, that, I wouldn't call that a loss by Michigan. But uh, Achilles Smith, uh, I believe he did visit. So it, it was a guy Michigan had their eyes on. But anyway... Um, we've got a good team. We've got a good squad recruiting wise, so I'm not too worried about that. Um, also some news about the schedule. It looks like Michigan's going to add two night games, two more night games to the schedule. It is believed that Purdue is going to be a night game. And then much more interestingly, the game against Michigan state in East Lansing will be a night game. After everything that's happened, 
Uh, alcohol sales have become legal. I, I believe Michigan State will be serving alcohol at this game. Um, so the question becomes, um, you know, in late October, night game, Michigan State, what is that atmosphere going to be like? Well, Mike Valenti, the, you know, infamous or famous, depending on how you view him, you know, the popular radio host out of Detroit and, and uh, very well-documented uh, Michigan State Spartan guy, uh, said, quote, friendly advice if you're a Michigan fan, don't be there. Don't bring the, don't bring the women and children. Don't show up in your egregious butter-themed t-shirt garb. Don't be there. It's the equivalent of playing stupid games and winning stupid prizes. This is going to be arguably the most hostile environment this rivals, rivalry's ever had. Ever. It will be a tinderbox. Don't be there. Find something else to do. Somewhere other than East Lansing, I would never, if I were a Michigan fan, be at that game because there's decent odds you'll be eating a battery. <laughs> I don't condone it. I'm not telling people to behave that way, but I know what Spartan fans are feeling and how that's going to go down after what happened last year and how MSU got railroaded. That's not the place to be. Don't bring the kids. So I'm going to let you react first. This uh, Valenti appears to be insinuating that Michigan fans will be unsafe if they go to this football game. How do you feel about that, Matt? I mean... Um, I'll say this. At first, at the beginning of his comments, uh, as I was watching the clip without having any context of what he was about to say or whatever, um, I, I thought it was funny. I thought the butter themed garb, like the don't be there, uh, like it, it was kind of funny at first, you know, in, in terms of rivalry banter. But then he just took a very weird, like, serious turn with it about like bringing the wife and kids and the eating of batteries and the I don't condone it like like what are you talking about buddy you know what I mean like and that's what I mean when I say like I was laughing like I I thought his jab like he was about to be like throwing a jab or something but it just turned out to be this like very weird like uh like thing to say considering the type of following that the man has uh and i was pretty vocal about it on twitter like this caused an uproar on twitter obviously but mm -hmm. um you know everybody had an opinion about it i myself i think that it was just very irresponsible and i think that having the following that you t have in that situation a more responsible thing to say would honestly just be anything other than uh, just assuming that there's going to be violence at a football game uh, and that you shouldn't bring your family and shit like that. You know what I mean? I just don't buy into any of his comments. I think at the end of the day, like it's all just football. I don't think there's really a place for that. There's definitely not a place for it considering what happened last year. You know what I mean? I right. had this. I had this mouth breather MSU guy coming at me on Twitter talking about um, talking about something. And, and I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? We're a year removed from two of your players beating the shit 
or a bunch of your players beating the shit out of two of our guys in our own stadium not even a year ago. So, like, I mean, in my mind, like, the best thing to say is just, like, nothing of the sort. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, have your fun with the rivalry, but at the end of the day, like, it's just football. Keep it moving and shut your fucking mouth, bro. Like, nobody's going to be throwing a battery at my family from East Lansing. Uh, and like, I'm going to be enjoying the game and that's just the long and short of it. So how do you feel about it? My friend, man, you got a nice little Matt Hartwell rant, dude. That felt good. Um, I'm on basically the same page as you about this, which is I love, I like, I love hating Michigan state. I've, I've hated Michigan state since I've watched football. That's a part of who I am when he comes out and he says, you know, don't wear your egregious butter-themed T-shirt. Of course, talking about the Michigan's maze and stuff. Like, I, I'm all, I'm all for it, man. That's funny. I laugh at that. It's like, it's like, oh, you know, okay, mf'er. Like you, da 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 da. Like that builds the rivalry. It builds the banter. It's amazing. But I'm with you. He took a dark, a dark turn that was, quite frankly, given his following, it was irresponsible because he's not a guy that has. You know, he's not some 12-year-old kid hiding behind an alias with 10 followers on Twitter, right? Like those those guys can come out and say a bunch of inappropriate stuff and cross the line. Um, this guy has a platform that that he he needs to take responsibility for because when he says things like, don't bring your kids to this game, he's insinuating that if Michigan fans bring their families to this football game, that that they may in fact be unsafe. And I mean, to reiterate what you said is that's the last fan base that should be talking like that. They literally had, uh, you know, a violent incident last year that was completely embarrassing. And I do want to come out and say that this is not all Michigan State fans. I interact with some some high quality Michigan State fans that that came out and said the tunnel in incident was embarrassing and that, that those players should have to face the appropriate consequences for what they did. Uh, I've, I've seen a lot of Michigan State fans come out and say, hey, it's, a, it's just a football game. You know, you guys should be able to come to East Lansing and, and ha- watch the game, and that's fine. But when Valenti starts to rally the troops, what happens is these, these uh, you know, I'm going to say it, some kind of dumber fans, you know, the ones that, that cross the line, he gets them all riled up, you know, showing up to this game ready to fight. And it's like, it's like we, we've got to draw the line somewhere. And so my hopes are that, and, and you know, this, this is, I'm, I'm asking for a lot, but this night game with alcohol being served, Michigan, Michigan State, my hopes are that everybody is safe. Michigan State fans and Michigan fans alike, you know, all men, women, and children are able to go watch that game and have fun at the game. Um, and then of course, Michigan beats the shit out of them on the football field. So, uh, you know, it, it appears as though you and I, you know, feel the same way about that. And, and just to wrap up the Michigan state talk, uh, Mel Tucker, what was his deal at, uh, the big 10 media days? Like he, he, uh, he, he appears to be more broken than Ryan day at this point. He said, he doesn't know how to take back the reins from Michigan. He just said, "I don't know. I don't know how to take back the reins from Michigan." Is he, is he throwing in the towel, man? We are we, 
we're a year away from Tuck coming, taking pictures with uh, sports cars and pit bulls, and now all of a sudden uh, he's just uh, a sh- you know just a broken human being. I don't know, man. That first day of uh, Big Ted Media Days, it was just a real treat for uh, Michigan fans without any, without really even too a whole lot to say from Michigan. You know what I mean? Like there was a whole lot of action taking place just in reference uh, to Michigan. So that was great to see. Uh, Mel Tucker, his full quote, what a broken man, right? Mel Tucker, uh, his full quote, how do you rein it in? I don't know how you do that. There's not a day that's gone by that I haven't heard something about that game. I mean, every day of my life I hear about that game, so I don't know how you rein, it, rein that in. It just is what it is. <laughs> the resume is on the tape, you know, so like right now I'm a horseshit football coach right now. <laughs> Mel I mean, Tucker, who, oh, come on, man. We've gotten some truly terrific uh, clips, rivalry clips, sound bites from Big Ten Media Day. But I mean, that that from Mel Tucker in regards to the rivalry between Michigan and Michigan State, uh, it's the cherry on on top, especially amongst all this stupid drama that's transpiring. Like, I love to hear it. Uh, It makes you feel a little bit bad for Mel Tucker. Uh, but then, you know, they release probably the dumbest uniforms that I've ever seen in my life. I know some people think they're cool. Um, they, they release these um, Mac uniforms that uh, look like they're they're setting them in ancient Egypt or something. I don't know. Uh, I'm just hating. But yeah, it was just a lovely experience at Big Ten Media Day hearing Ryan Day's desire to move the game. Mel Tucker's brokenness. It was awesome. Man, speaking of disgusting green uniforms, and I agree, they look like Mountain West uniforms, but did you see the uh, the Notre Dame all green uniforms they're going to wear against Ohio State? Have you seen those yet? I actually didn't, no. Look it up after the pod. They're disgusting, dude. It's like a different hue of green. There's this... Uh, and it's just this ridiculous. I'll send it to you after the show. But anybody that's listening, look up the the clip uh, that their coach Marcus Freeman had. You know about these uh, this uniform reveal. It was it was not great considering how ugly these uniforms are going to be. But um, I tell you what, let's wrap up the show with some something interesting here. We're getting close enough to football season where we can start to really talk about power rankings. Um, Let's go ahead and reveal each of our Big Ten preseason power rankings. We've gotten to hear from the coaches. We've gotten to hear from some of the players. Uh, We're about to get into fall camp. Fall camp starts in just a couple of days. Uh, Let's look at uh, the Big Ten, how we think it's going to shake up, and uh, how these teams are going to be ranked. I think the best way to do this, Matt, is let's do first four and then next four, and then next four. So um, I'll give you my first four right here, and I, I'll be surprised. I, Are we going go uh, first four or like last four in reverse order? Let, let's just start at number one, man. Okay. I, don't, I, don't think we, I don't think we need to do the, the countdown necessarily here. Let's do it. Um, unless you want. Do you want to do it that way? I don't care. 
I mean, I'm down. I'm down to do a countdown, or we can just countdown. Get right it is to the all right. Countdown it is, fans, and you'll never guess who we have number one. <laughs> all right, here we go. I'm gonna start at uh, number fourteen. Uh, yeah, oh, screw it. We'll go back and forth one at a time, man. We're 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 building the plane as we fly it, ladies and gentlemen. BHB Pod exclusive Big Ten Power Rankings number fourteen. I have the uh, embarrassment right now. The Northwestern Wildcats. Is that who you have last as well? Yes, obviously. Uh, no drum roll needed. Northwestern. Uh, AJ Henning. Very sorry, buddy. Number 14 for me as well, Northwestern Wildcats. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, A.J. Henning. He, he might be the one bright spot on that team. I bet he's kicking himself for transferring to Northwestern. I Pat almost moved him to number 13 just for A.J. Henning, despite the situation. But Yeah, yeah. Well, moving on to number 13, I've got the Indiana Hoosiers. I do not believe that they're going to do much of anything good this season uh michigan even got a couple of their talented players to transfer and come be back backups on michigan uh there's not a lot going on there in indiana that's my number 13 squad yeah me myself also have indiana there at number 13 and honestly um as you know on the mason brew team uh we did our power rankings this week and everybody's rankings include obviously including yours and mine all had those same two teams at the bottom with in that same order, Northwestern number 14, Indiana number 13. So I think a lot of people well in line with uh, these are the two teams that are supposed to be the bottom feeders this year. Yeah, it's pretty hard to, you know, they, they, they are clearly, uh, you know, there's a big gap right there. And, and uh, now the surprise for me, you know, might, might be, it might be surprising to you is, is who I have at number 12. And this might be uh, thought of as a biased take, especially because of everything we just said about this team. But I was looking at their schedule and I genuinely believe uh, there's potential for them to win only four games this season. Uh, they might go six and six, but um, I think we're going to see another five and seven year for the Michigan State Spartans. I've got Michigan State as the 12th ranked team in the Big Ten. Wow. And honestly, you and uh, site manager for Mason Brew, Von Lozon, he, uh, his list also had Michigan State lower than anybody else's, which was in the same spot that you've got him at, at, uh, at number 12. But uh, I didn't have him that low. I think, uh, I, and I think honestly, mentally for me, it's just because I don't want to sleep on Michigan State too much. Maybe that's part of my uh, logic within it. But at uh, at number 12, I've got Rutgers. I think that, uh, that there was a little bit of positive momentum with that program for a little while, but I think that they're in another downward spiral right now that, uh, that they may not see themselves come out of again this season. I can't shake it. So I've got Rutgers laying an egg again this season and uh, entering the season at number 12 in my power rankings. Now I've got Rutgers at 11. So we're not, we're not, we're not that far off there. Michigan state and Rutgers was one of, one of my two or three really close battles for who, who I was going to give the nod to. 
And there's a couple reasons I, I put Rutgers ahead of Michigan State. One was the Keon Col- Coleman uh, transfer uh, at Michigan State. I mean, to me, he was one of the most talented players in all of the Big Ten. And with him, they didn't even have a very successful season. It appears as though Michigan State may get worse this season. Um, Greg Schiano, the head, head ball coach at Rutgers, I don't put anything back past that son of a bitch. You know what I mean? Like he he's he he has gritty teams. You know, he has very gritty teams that show up. I think he's going to steal a couple of games that he has no business winning. Uh that's why I put Rutgers at number 11. Uh moving on to number 10 unless you have any comments there. Any comments there? I was just going to say that if I were going to put uh put Rutgers in like um, an uncharacteristically close game against Michigan power ranking, I'd put Rutgers right up there at the top (laughs) because those guys just have a knack for getting into gritty, hard-nosed games with the Wolverines. But uh, Mm. but no, I I don't think uh, they're going to make too much noise this year as a whole. But, you know, you're right. Greg Schiano is certainly not one to be counted out in any ball game. I think maybe for them, if I had to go a step further, I'd probably say that they're probably like last year's Nebraska, uh, where like they probably find themselves in a lot of close ones this year that they don't pull out of. But uh, we'll see. You know, I like you said, I I won't put too much past old Shiano. And then uh, who do you have at eleven? At eleven, I've got um, Purdue. Uh, returning, returning from the Big Ten championship game, uh, Purdue. I think that they lose a lot this year, or uh, or yeah, going into this season, if you will. I think that uh, it's going to be hard for them to recover from, and I think that this will be a down year for them. I think they'll be back on the upswing by next year, back to their regular uh, spoiler maker identity, but. I just don't know. I think that they lose Aiden O'Connell, if I'm not mistaken, as well as a lot yeah. of other weapons. So I just don't see a path for them to have a lot of success this year, but uh, I've got them sitting right there. Yeah, I don't put them in that bottom four, but I, I definitely don't have them too much higher. Though They're coming up shortly on my list. So at number 10, I actually have the Minnesota Golden Gophers. So they, they have... Um, lost who I I think was one of the best running backs in the Big Ten outside of Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. He was probably the best running back, uh, except for what's-his-face at Illinois. But um, Mo Ibrahim at Minnesota was fantastic. Uh, that quarterback that they've had the last few years, fantastic. Um, they're just losing a lot. Uh, and then P.J. Fleck has a little bit of uh, controversy surrounding him about there's some players that came out and said that he has a a cult cult like mentality and he's forcing them to you know do things that he shouldn't be doing. To me it just sounds like a good football coach. I mean, I I come from a day and age where like even in my my high school basketball coach would would run us until we puked every single day. Like to me that's just sports, but um in Minnesota right now, PJ Fleck is under a lot of scrutiny. Um Man, I, I just I don't know if they're going to be able to retool and replace some of the talent they had. So I've got Minnesota at number ten. Fair enough, I like that pick. I've uh, got Michigan State next on my list. Uh, not necessarily thinking that they're going to be great, 
not necessarily thinking that they're going to be the bottom feeder of the Big Ten. Uh, obviously, they lose their uh, their quarterback this year. Uh, they also lose uh, their best receiver. So not a whole lot going great for them. But I also don't want to get too wrapped up in the mindset that uh, that that's just that completely takes away the competitiveness of this football team. Obviously, Peyton Thorne transferred for a reason. There's got to be a little bit to Noah Kim that we that we uh, haven't seen yet. So uh, whatever that turns out to be, who knows? Right now, I've got him sitting right there in that spot. We'll see if they they uh, give up a couple spots after the start of the season in the non-conference. I think that's a fair place to have them. I think a lot of people see them as potentially a, a you know seven and five, six and six team that could kind of be floating near the middle. Um, so that's not a stretch by any means. Um, at number nine, that's where I put the Purdue Boilermakers. I, I, you know, when you play in a Big Ten championship game, you just get a lot of experience for a, a lot of those guys that you and me don't even know their name. You know, we don't we don't cover Purdue. We don't know the you know backup edge players or anything like that. And so I just think enough of those guys have played in big games. Enough of those guys know what it takes to win to where they're not going to plummet all the way to the bottom of the league. I've got them at a, a firm uh, ninth place in the Big Ten and right on the cusp of uh, you know being bowl eligible. Right, right, you know, right around there. That the, you mentioned them, you know, their nickname as the Spoiler Makers. I could see them uh, s- stealing a game or two from a Wisconsin or an Iowa, something like that. Yeah, that's a good pick. And really, like with with that kind of whole section of the rankings. I feel like they're kind of interchangeable. You know what I mean? We all of them have a little bit of a, a feistiness to them to get in games, and we'll see what obviously this next year's teams look like for each of them. But uh, I think each of those, uh, Michigan State, Purdue, Minnesota, uh, are going to have the ability to get in some dogfights this year. And it, it's all just going to depend on if they've improved from from things that made them bad last year and if they can close out. Speaking of uh, if they can close out, next on my list, I've got Nebraska. And uh, and for me, it's just because Nebraska also loses a lot. I know there's a lot of buzz about them with uh, Matt Rule coming in, but uh, but we'll see. You know, they're they're kind of in a down a down place with their roster right now. So we'll see if, uh, if rule can kind of turn it around and, and make the most out of the situation right now, being a first year coach, I think he's still uh, a year or two out from actually making some real noise there though. So for now I've got Nebraska sitting right there at number nine. Yeah, we're not too far off there. You've got them at number nine. I've got them at number eight. I see Nebraska as a middle of the pack team, but I don't quite trust Nebraska. You know, we had Clayton Safey on last week and we were talking about uh, which games could be trap games. Nebraska's one of those games. Matt Rule is a proven uh, winner at the college level. Uh, Nebraska is, you know, they're a blue blood program. And so they, they have attracted some talented players. The question is, will they put it together and will they, uh, like you referenced, uh, will they be able to close out games? Because that's been the struggle. So the Nebraska Cornhuskers are my number eight team. 
And at number eight, I am giving uh, a little bit of a little nudge to the fighting flex, right? I've got uh, PJ Fleck and his squad uh, making a little bit of noise this year and uh, being right there in the middle at number eight. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think that they've got some good transfers coming in. Uh, obviously, they lose Mo Ibrahim. Uh, they lose 10-year starter Tanner Morgan um, and so, a lot of other good names. But uh, I think that they've brought some good good players in, and I think that they'll be in a good position to uh, compete a little bit this year. So I've yeah. got them at number eight. Tanner Morgan, that's the name. I couldn't think of his name earlier when I was talking about him. I mean, it's a wonder because he did play for, I believe it was 10 years <laughs> at, at Minnesota. That dude was there forever. Um, the only thing I remember is that he got eaten by uh, Michael Barrett for lunch that one time. Oh, yeah. He got beat up pretty badly. Uh, the only guy that got beat up worse than him was uh, old Sean Clifford at Penn State. <laughs> we seem to we seem to beat him up every game. But uh, at number seven, so now we're getting into... Uh, what I would consider like the good teams in the Big Ten, right? We're getting into the top half. These are the teams we expect to be good this season. At number seven, I've got the Maryland Terrapins. I think Maryland is going to be a good team. I think uh, it is a sneaky game that Michigan has, but you know, between Penn State and Ohio State, they gotta they gotta play Maryland. So it's definitely not a uh, game to be overlooked. Uh, Talia uh, is is you know, thought to be one of the uh, better quarterbacks in the country. Um, and they do have a few talented guys on that team and, and a football coach that uh, has been around the block at, you know, at Alabama, among other places. And so I think we could see, um, you know, an eight win, seven or eight win Maryland team that, you know, hanging around just barely in the top half of the Big Ten. Absolutely. That's a great pick at, uh, at number seven for me, I hate this guy cause he's like the most annoying guy on Twitter. Uh, but Brett Bielema and the Illinois <laughs> fighting Illini, uh, I think they're going to hang tough again this year. I think they're going to be a pesky ass big 10 team. Uh, once again, don't have chase Brown, don't have a few weapons, but uh, that was a very good team last year. I was impressed by them and what they've built up to this point. And I think that that they're going to maintain a little bit of that competitiveness this year. So I've got them hanging at number seven. Yeah, man. Bielema, uh, you know, he was a proven winner at Wisconsin. And now all of a sudden he's fielding surprisingly good teams at Illinois and surprisingly good defensive teams, which... Uh, you know, at, at at Illinois, it's not easy to do that in the Big Ten. He he was able to field uh, highly competitive teams uh, very fast, and so I'm not doubting him. Uh, you've got him at seven. I've got him at number six. They they've definitely lost some talent uh, at the running back position. Uh, they've got some you know very good players uh, coming back, and so yeah, I think I think Illinois. Uh, do they compete for the West? maybe, you know, heading into the final stretch, maybe they're in it. Uh, I don't think they win the West, but definitely a bowl team, in my opinion. I think Bielema continues his his upward trajectory. Um, I've got him at six. Flip-flop six and seven for, uh, for me and you, buddy. I've got Maryland at number six. I think that team is going to be sneaky good this year. 
Uh, I'm a little bit worried about him. I don't know if you saw Trevor Woods's uh, article that he published for Mason Brew yesterday. Um, Tiger Viola hangs on to that loss to Michigan uh, a little bit harder than most. And it could be, you know, uh, just something to watch out for. I'm not saying that that Maryland's going to take down Michigan, but, you know, the, ter- the Terrapins have gotten in a couple of really close games the last couple of years, Michigan being one of them, Ohio State being another. Uh, you know, this is a team that, that can fight with the best of them. I think that they've got some questions in the trenches, which is why I'm not going to say that they're like, uh, a, you know, a threat to compete for the conference or anything like that. But, uh, but I think this team is going to be better than they were last year, just by a little bit. And I think that a lot of teams should be on notice for. Yeah, I don't love the sound of that, that he's hanging on to that Michigan loss. We might have to... uh, He says he watches the game all the time. It kind of had an eerie feel to it, you know? Don't uh, like that. I don't put nothing past baby Tua. He's got that look about him whenever he's playing the Wolverines. Thank you for calling him by his formal name, by the way, uh, baby Tua. That's what we're going to have to refer to him as from now on. So getting into the top five now... Now we're really talking about like these are the teams that can compete for the championship. In my opinion, there's five there's five squads that can compete for the Big Ten this season. Um, and of course, we all know the top three are going to be out of the East most likely, um, unless you really threw a curveball at us. But um, I got is Don I've got Thomas Wisconsin. on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you can call me Don Thomas when comparing. Wisconsin with Iowa because it so this was my four and five conundrum right I I flipped it back and forth several times I was like no 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 it's Wisconsin and I was like no 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 it's Iowa um I went ahead and landed on Iowa because uh I I genuinely believe that uh Cade McNamara and a couple of the offensive weapons that they have and Eric All um, are going to make enough of a difference to complete that team. I think I think that that's a team now that can do loads of damage on the defensive side of the ball. That's not to be overlooked. Everybody makes fun of Iowa because they're out there scoring nine points a game. People are forgetting that defense was gnarly. If they can field a defense that's that good and Cade McNamara can bring some of that, you know, Cade McNamara energy to the offense, that team's going to be good. So I've got Wisconsin at five. Iowa at four. I like it. You know, I'm very big on the Hawkeyes, uh, so big that they're not my number five team. At number five, I've got Wisconsin, uh, just because, you know, I think that uh, that Wisconsin's going to have a good year, an up year, you know, that a lot of good things are being said about them. Uh, but but I'm big on the Hawkeyes, and uh, and I think that... Wisconsin might just be a little bit less good than them this year. So I'll leave it at that until I go on my next, uh, next, next rant. But uh, I'm going Wisconsin at number five this year. We'll go ahead and go right into your number four because I already spoiled mine. So I've, I've got the Hawkeyes at four. Is that where you have them as well? Or are you going to, are you going to break, you know, break the podcast and, and uh, drop Penn state below them? 
Well, call me Don Thomas because no, nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put Iowa at number four. Uh, if you remember when we did our uh, preseason top twenty five, I ranked Iowa at number twelve. I'm sticking to that. I think that all that the Hawkeyes are missing is a moving offense. <laughs> you know what I mean? And obviously, Cade McNamara, the one thing that he's good at is delivering a moving offense. He can move uh-huh. the ball. You know what I mean? Not always uh, 75 yards. You know what I mean? Not always 50 yards. But Cade McNamara will go out there and he'll get you a first down. And I've got faith in that. I'm not a Cade hater like some of these weirdos out there. He's just at another team. Uh, but I think that he's going to do very well. think Eric All is going to do really well, too. Uh, and I think that we're going to see them in the Big Ten championship uh, this year is what is what I'm thinking. So I think that Iowa is going to make a lot of noise and get into a lot of close ones this year. And people are going to know who they are and uh, people are going to stop shitting on Kate a little bit. Man, that Iowa Michigan Big Ten championship would be something special. Uh, moving on to number three. You know, this team has an identity and they've had an identity for a couple of years. And I think the the question is uh, for the Penn State Nittany Lions is, can you beat Michigan? Can you beat Ohio State? And so at number three, of course, I have Penn State. Uh, they're going to be a very good team. Uh, ev- I think everybody on the face of the planet looks at this team and says, seven and two in the Big Ten, right? They're like, they're going to they're gonna win every game except for Michigan and Ohio State. So let me ask you this, Matt. Can Penn State knock off either Michigan or Ohio State this season? Because I've toyed with the idea, you know, Ohio State and Penn State play each other before uh, Michigan plays Penn State. Do we think that Penn State can maybe knock off Ohio State? You know, I think that Penn State has the potential to knock off either Michigan or Ohio State. And that's not to say that I think they're going to knock off Michigan by any extent. But uh, just in terms of, and I don't, I can't remember, is the game between Ohio State and Penn State at Penn State this year? Or is it in Columbus? I'd have to check the, I'd, okay. I, it's probably, it's probably in Columbus. Okay. I believe I, I would imagine yeah, so. We'll, we'll check. But yeah. um, I would just I would have to say that both Ohio State and Michigan should be high, just be high on upset watch against Penn State, Michigan especially. I can speak to that because I know that Michigan is playing in Happy Valley this year. Uh, but I think that that's going to be a very extremely hostile environment. I think that uh, Drew Aller is going to have more have had more than enough time underneath his belt by that time to know what he's doing. So that matchup scares me a little bit, the same way that the Maryland matchup scares me a little bit, being on the road for uh, for those games this year. You know, I think that, uh, I don't know, it's kind of a wait-and-see thing for me with Penn State, but they still return a lot of playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. You know that a good defense is coming back for them as well. So that one's a little bit scary to me. Uh, I, too, have them at number three for my number three team. But uh, I think that they're right there. I think that that margin between 
two and three is just razor thin in my eyes right now. Yeah, and Penn State is, in fact, going to Columbus. It will be when Michigan is in East Lansing playing Michigan State. So that'll be a great day of football. Um, and I'm with you, man. I, you know, I, just speaking from a fan's perspective, that Penn State game in Happy Valley, like, yeah, that's a high alert, 10 out of 10. Like, that is a game to keep an eye on. But I think if you're Ohio State, you got to feel the same way about Penn State coming into your own backyard. So uh, it'll be interesting uh, to watch that game because that will give us an idea of what we're up against, uh, against Penn State and Ohio State. That'll be a really big weekend for Michigan. Um, and it's, and not Michigan just, actually, it's not just Drew Aller. You know what I mean? It's Nick Singleton. It's Parker Washington. It's like mm-hmm. they've, got some ex- they've got some gamers on that team, man. So. Any Michigan fan that's looking at this schedule thinking like undefeated season, like that's definitely not the case. Like I still, I think there's a couple dogfights in there that uh, are going to come tooth and nail and, uh, and we'll see that against some of these guys that we're talking about now. And so that of course brings us to our top two. I've got the Ohio State Buckeyes. And I hate myself a little bit for using the word the in front of that. <laughs> I've got Ohio State. Um, at number two, and of course, Michigan at number one. Uh, I think if if everything stays the way it's supposed to in the universe, Michigan will win their third consecutive Big Ten championship. Will head to the college football playoff with an excellent opportunity to win a national championship. I'll pass the mic back to you. I would be shocked if you don't have the same top two as me. Yeah, and uh, in your defense, you were kind of like defaulted into that saying that the before Ohio State. So no worries, buddy. For me, I've got the exact same thing. I think almost anyone that follows the team uh, is going to tell you the exact same thing. I mean, uh, Michigan returning just so much, not even from just a Wolverine biased standpoint. You know what I mean? Just logically thinking about this, Michigan returns so much of its production. Um, I just, Ohio State has a new quarterback that they're bringing back, questions at the offensive line, questions at a couple other position groups. At the very least, you've got to rank Michigan one in, in preseason rankings for most outlets, I would have to feel. If you have any kind of sensible grasp of the game of football, uh, and that's not even me saying that Michigan's going to like go undefeated and kill everyone, you know, at the game of football, you know what I mean? That's just logically thinking about this roster in comparison to other rosters. So I do have Michigan at number one, Ohio State at number two. And we'll see, you know, what the Buckeyes do as the season goes on. It could be just another one of those situations where Kyle McCord or Devin Brown or whatever their names are step in to the pocket and and score 100 points in their first game at quarterback and then we're all just like again here we go again you know but uh it could it could be like that or he could lay an egg and Ohio State could have questions at QB for almost a year you know it's it all just kind of depends on how uh the tea leaves read after those first few weeks. So we'll see, man. It's going to get crazy. 
Well, we're about a month away from some actual football action. So I know all of us are getting jittery and getting excited. Um, I've got my graphic made up right now with my Big Ten preseason power rankings. Now that I've shared it with you, I'm going to share it with the world. I'm going to tweet this out right now. So if any, if any of our listeners want to follow uh, my content at Wolverine Chronicle, go to Twitter, at uh, Wolverine Cron. Give me a follow. I'm also on YouTube, Wolverine Chronicle, and uh, a few other social media outlets or platforms, whatever you want to call them. Matt, where can people find you? Yeah, buddy, they can find me on my primary Twitter handle at Maze Crusader or uh, at Maze and Brew, where me and my awesome team are putting out all kinds of great content, which you can read on social media or at mazeandbrew.com. Also, we've got some awesome Big House Bleachers merch for any of our listeners. If you're looking to get yourself a dry fit tee, uh, regular cotton tee, whatever you're looking for for game day, a nice maize shirt, whatever, go on the site mazeworld, no W.com, get yourself a shirt uh, and help support the boys. Maze World, no O. He meant to say no O, people. You said no W. Maze oh, World without no the O. o. <laughs> yeah. Maze World. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get yourself a free Harbaugh shirt, man. Those things were flying off the shelf last week. So um, anyway, guys, we'll be back next week with Trevor McHugh from Maze and Blue Review. We'll be looking at the Michigan depth chart, and we will be one more week closer to Michigan football. As always, go blue. Go blue.